Love is a way forward and with time, forgiveness. And that forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting, but like until I'm willing to like try and see it from a higher perspective, I'm just in a cage. I cannot afford resentments or judgment because if I'm in a, in a space of resentfulness or judgmentalism, the sunlight of the spirit is blocked and I'm wrapped up in myself again, right back in the middle of my life. Hi, my name is Rongan Chatterjee. Welcome to Feel Better, Live More. Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast. You know, I often talk about the importance of pushing ourselves outside our comfort zone. This is a theme that has come up on many occasions in the past with my guests. And I think this week's episode of the podcast is me pushing myself out of my very own comfort zone. I've long held the belief that we can all learn something about ourselves from every single person we interact with. And it's actually through the stories of other people that I feel we can learn the most. My guest today has a really powerful story to share. Now, he isn't what you would necessarily call one of my typical guests. He's not someone who would be considered an expert in a particular area of health, nor would he put himself out there as an expert yet. I think he has some wonderful life wisdom to share that we can all take something from. He is the incredible singer-songwriter, Benjamin Francis Lefwich. Now, I've been a big fan of Ben's work for many years. I've always loved the soulfulness and the raw emotion in his voice. And Ben actually came into the spotlight in 2011 when his debut album, Last Smoke Before the Snowstorm, came out. Now, one of the tracks from that album, Shine, was officially Spotify's most addictive song of 2014. It was the track that was repeat played most often that year. His brand new album, his fourth one in fact, To Carry a Whale, has just been released. And it's actually the very first album that he has recorded entirely sober. And this struggle with addiction is actually at the heart of Ben's story. You see, Ben and I begin this conversation by talking about the disconnect between success and happiness. And, you know, at the peak of his early fame a decade ago, Ben confesses that contentment still eluded him. You know, he just wasn't happy. He had success, fame, opportunities, and Ben acknowledges all of this, but he still couldn't shake that feeling of being uncomfortable in his own skin. There was a hole in his heart that he just could not fill. Now, in Ben's case, it was drink and drugs that he tried to fill that hole with. But as we discuss, addiction comes in many guises. And I think to some degree, we're all seeking to fill that hole in our souls and try our best to fix whatever we feel is wrong or missing in our lives. And I think, you know, from time to time, we can all feel a certain emptiness. And whether it's alcohol, sugar, caffeine, gambling, sex, shopping, or whatever else we choose to fill it with, I think very few of us are strangers to that feeling. That, of course, is not to diminish what for Ben has clearly been a long and traumatic journey. It's a privilege to hear him share so honestly about his experience, what he's learned in recovery over the past three years. And there's so much in what Ben does in recovery one day at a time that I feel could be helpful to each and every one of us. For example, we discuss the difference between saying sorry and really making amends. 
We talk about the importance of connection and community and how those regular meetings that Ben and other recovering addicts used to have in person moved online over the past 12 months and still retain their power. We really do cover so much ground in this conversation. We talk about his music, spirituality, the inherent goodness in people, and his goal of progress, not perfection. And throughout the entire conversation, I was really struck by Ben's gratitude, his energy, and I was really grateful for his authentic and touching words. This is a powerful conversation. I really think you're going to enjoy listening. Now, before we get started, just want to give a quick shout out to one of today's sponsors. Good quality sleep is critical for so many different aspects of our health, physical, mental, and emotional. We know that everything feels better when we've slept better. Our mood, our focus, our energy, as well as our ability to interact with our loved ones. Now, one of the biggest obstacles to sleep these days is light. Too much artificial light in the evenings and not enough natural light in the days. And in the UK, as we move towards summer, you know, the days are getting longer. We've been exposed to daylight much earlier in the morning and much later into the evenings. And of course, this can make getting good quality sleep harder. We ideally want our rooms as dark as possible in order to sleep. And that is where today's sponsor, Blue Blocks, comes in. Blue Blocks have a fantastic range of products to help us all sleep better. And I myself actually use a couple of them. They have this fantastic remedy sleep mask. It blocks 100% of light. It's super comfortable. And compared to a lot of the other sleep masks I've tried before, this one is really breathable and has these smooth contoured edges so that you can easily forget you are wearing it. What I've noticed, particularly at the moment with these light evenings and early mornings, that wearing the Remedy sleep mask is helping me get more good quality sleep. Blue Blocks also have a brilliant range of blue light blocking glasses that are made in an optics lab in Australia. Now, I've been using these glasses for, I think, two and a half, maybe even three years now. And if you spend time on screens in the evening, I would really recommend you check them out as they can make a huge difference to your sleep quality. I myself wear them regularly. My wife's got her own pair. And I've noticed with her that when she pops them on, she can find herself yawning and dozing off sometimes within 30 minutes of putting them on. I like them so much that both my children also have their own pairs. So if you want to try them out, they're offering my podcast listeners 20% off anything you order on their website, whether it's the Remedy Sleep Mask or any of their blue light blocking glasses for yourself or any of your family. All you have to do is use the discount codes LIVEMORE20 at the checkout for 20% off. That's LIVEMORE20, all one word, no space. Or you can go direct to the URL blueblocks.com forward slash livemore. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com forward slash livemore. And the discounts will be automatically applied. And now my conversation with Benjamin Francis Lethwich. One of the big problems in society these days is that we confuse success and happiness. We kind of think they're the same thing. 
But it's really clear to me that they are two separate things. You can have them both, but getting one doesn't necessarily mean you're getting the other one. Yeah. And I think of you in 2011 when your debut album came out, smash hit, right? Doing really, really well. Yeah. Yet in interviews, I've heard you refer back to that period saying that you weren't happy. Successful on one hand, but at the same time, not happy. So how do you see those two things? Yeah, it's something I speak about a lot with my friends in the studio and with other artists. And um, I'm aware that I'm saying this from a place of um, coming from privilege and being comfortable and, and having had um, relative commercial sec- success through, you know, being signed to Dirty Hit and, and the music I've, I've put out over the years. But my, my experience is, um, as cheesy as it sounds, like I think success is happiness. And... Um, true happiness in the soul you know what i mean a feeling of contentment in, in in one's heart and if you know i have friends who who i won't name people who've been in v- very successful bands who've touring the world selling out shows and you know have taken their own life when they get home and i can only speak for myself and it's a conversation i have a lot with young artists i'm lucky enough to work with and learn from but really the 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 juice is to set is to try and care for one's own spirit with whatever program or or methodology one uses and and get it into a place where like the spirit can be in the same place whether the record sells a million copies or sells one copy or whether you have a big record deal or a small record deal or no record deal or one record deal and um you know my my experience is it is that i'm i'm most happy and content when i'm around other human beings talking about stuff that uh, matters to me or, or share or sharing um common solutions and not when i'm in front of loads of people playing shows and and having praise thrown my way that stuff's nice sometimes but i can't tell you the amount of times i've come off stage at a festival and you know been crying in my porter cabin that feeling of a hole a hole in my heart you know and that's probably just my own stuff you know that i continue to work on um but i agree that you know, I mean, really, what's the, di- you know, I'm not a millionaire, but like, what's the difference if some, you know, a big, massive rock star has got 100 million in the bank or, or a billion, what's the difference? Your own plane, more space to walk around in a big, in a big lonely house, uh, not being able to go anywhere without being photographed, having what you say taken out of context, um, not knowing really what what a lover or a friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or however anyone identifies might might want from you in a romantic sense, you know, it's like, I don't know. I'm I'm in a sick kind of way, and maybe I'm in denial about this. I'm kind of pleased that I never got, I never really got like street street famous. Yeah. What was it like in 2011? So, first album comes out. You're doing really well. Um, as you say, you're reflecting back now. What ten years on? Yeah, it's just about ten years. Yeah. Oh, incredible! So ten years on. Thanks. Obviously, it's a very formative period in anyone's life. You know, I think you were... How old were you when the first album? 21. 21. 21, 21, Yeah, I mean, 21 to early 30s. It's it's a very significant period in anyone's life. And it's it's interesting to hear you speak now that, you know, those things, whether you're getting adulation, whether the record sells a, a million or it sells one copy, shouldn't really matter. Did it matter back then? Yeah. Yeah, it did. 
it did and it was it was never enough because I, I remember being a, a 16 17 year old kid going to see like Fionn Reagan playing like 150 cap folk theater in Yorkshire and thinking like you know that feeling when you're like young and you see a band on stage and like a small club and you're like they've got it you know what I mean if I ever get there I'll be I remember being with my first ever girlfriend on a, on a bus going through Manchester and seeing like a a tiny poster of an artist called Peter Broderick who signed to Bella Union at the time and it's a label and an artist that I love and thinking it's kind of it's I am self-centered in a way you know thinking oh my god if I ever saw myself on a poster I'd be so happy and then sure enough I get there I'm playing those venues and bigger within six months and I'm like irritable restless discontent in my own skin and and constantly uh, living in the delusion that she'll fix me or he'll fix me or that'll fix me or I'll sip that and that'll fix me or more praise will fix me or the next royalty check will fix me, you know, and it was it was, um, it was, was never my experience, if that makes sense. But it did matter back then. I think I'd be lying if I said it didn't. And I have to remember that now when I'm talking to young artists, if they're, like, posting about themselves on the social media or asking me for favours or this or that, I'm like, I have to remember that I was also that guy, you know, and it's yeah. important to be hungry and, you know, kind of be like, hey, will you manage me or send your demos to a label or, you know. It, it, it's tricky, isn't it? Because, you know, what do they say? Youth is wasted on the young. Like there's so much that we know more if we understand more about life as we get older. And you, in some ways we kind of wish we knew it back then, but in some ways I think it's just part of the journey. You kind of got yeah. to go through it to understand it. You said something, Ben, which really caught my ear a minute ago, which you said oh, it's probably just my own stuff. That, that I'm dealing with. Well, I don't think it is. I think it's universal. I think pretty much all of us have a hole in our hearts and we seek to fill that hole with whatever we can. And the question is, are we choosing things to fill it that are going to start really, you know, filling it for good? Or are we filling it with like quicksand that we just get a temporary kind of, oh yeah, that feels better but then it just seeps right through and, and and that hole then becomes even bigger, I think, than it was before. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that, that's exactly right. And I think um, the problem is when people, for me at least, I can only speak for myself, you know, I, I got into the habit of filling that hole in my heart with stuff that I was allergic to, you know, and, and didn't last. And um, I, I'm still in, in the business of trying to fill that hole in my heart, but I fill it with... Um, with not stuff that I try and I'm not perfect, you know, I'm, I'm only human, but I try and fill it with stuff that isn't uh, going to kill me or, or, or harm or harm those around me directly or, or indirectly, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think what we are talking about at the moment is universal. Whether it's you, when you're 21, wanting to sell more records and play bigger gigs, or whether it's someone starting out or in their job who wants a promotion or who wants to earn a bit more so they can get a bigger car or a nicer house or a flashier holiday. It's actually the same underlying drive. We think that's going to make us happy. But it doesn't. It doesn't. And I, I want to be really clear that I get it. If you've got completely, if you've got nothing, you know, more money is going to you know, give you food and shelter, right? I get that. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just simply saying that once we have those basic needs met, the research is pretty clear on this, that more money is not really leading to happiness. And I think what we can say is that money can often eliminate 
some of the causes of unhappiness, but I'm not sure money in and of itself gives us happiness. Yeah, yeah, I think um, I think it's a really common misconception that wanting to be secure or have more or be warm or eat or um or wanting to have sex or be in love or grow have more comfort security wealth even i think it's a misconception that that stuff is a is a sin you know i think they're very human natural um desires that that everyone has and i don't think there's anything wrong wrong with them at all um again i can only speak for myself that the point the measure of when of when those um desires how i would put it get get uh defective or harmful is is when that when they separate from their in, intended purpose and and i start putting them right in the middle of my life i put myself right in the middle of my middle of my life and they become my entire goal of like i want to get more money or i want to get more famous or i want to get more sex or i want to get more this or that or whatever you know um and i the the work that I, I try and do myself is just to stay right sized without being cruel to myself. There's nothing wrong with wanting, you know, I want I want to get a new sofa, cool. Like I want to get a girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, like cool. I don't think those th things are, are sinful or evil at all. But I think some people, for for whatever reason, and I consider myself um, one of these people, kind of th th those what I would say, kind of God given instincts for whatever ever reason run rampage and um and chaos can uh followed in my in my experience i was reading the press release for your upcoming album which you know as we record this conversation i think is out in about what what day are we on friday today one week yeah one week in on one week time, to go yeah. right so we'll definitely yeah. get to that because i've heard two of the track so far i can't wait for the album to come out next friday thank you uh, and they are sublime beautiful they're, they're just so so good but it said in the press release that this is the first album that you've written being sober uh, and i want to explore that a bit because well let's why don't we start at the beginning you know what were the problems you were facing um, you know, maybe tell us a little bit about that and, and sort of where it started and, and where we are now. Um, I think the, the, the main problem I was facing was um, from very, I'd say from about 23, 24, I really wanted to stop um, taking drugs and drinking and I couldn't. I made every kind of promise in the world. I mean, I went to every therapist, read every self-help book, tried new partners, moved to the other side of the world, threw drugs or alcohol into the river or onto the roofs of hotels to try and get rid of it and would quickly be out there kind of picking it up again or, or calling whoever to, to get my fix. And um, my problem was really that I was irritable, restless, discontent in my own skin unless I had... Uh, those kind of things in me to 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 fill that hole in my heart um and it was you know I, I went through my life like a tornado i didn't i wasn't present for the people i loved like i i was um 
emotionally absent from from my own life and the, and the lives of, of most people I met. Um, and I really, you know, whenever I'd be traveling to new places around the world or on tour or whatever, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to function without certain things. Um, so I'd say the problem was, was the kind of the hole in my soul, you know, and I just kept trying to fill that. And I, you know, I, I knew that what I was filling it with, I was, I was allergic to, but just knowing it wasn't enough to get me to, to stop until I reached a place of what I would describe as, um, a bottom in which I, I had nowhere else to kind of turn emotionally other than to ask for help. Um, from a, a kind international fellowship of human beings who shared with me a, a, a common solution that I, I try and practice one day at a time to um, to keep me away from putting that stuff in my system that I'm allergic to. And, and through doing that, I haven't found it necessary to take a drink or a drug for uh, well over three years. First of all, thank you for sharing that. Congratulations um, on over three years. That's... I mean, that's wonderful. You, you said allergic. When you say allergic, do you mean medically allergic or do you mean sort of metaphorically allergic? I mean, um, allergic in the sense that once I start, I can't stop. I, once I put one in me, I trigger a, a craving and I cannot stop until I'm so messed up that I, you know, pass out or whatever. And then I wake up and I can't stay stopped. I forget the kind of suffering and humiliation of 12 hours or a week or a month or a year ago. And I start again. And so I would describe it as like the problem kind of, the problem centers in my mind. And, and that's where I try and apply, you know, a, a spiritual solution to, to build a defense against that first one that will trigger the, the allergy, yeah. you know, and, tr and trigger that craving and and you know i'm i'm not an angel there are many other things that are not uh drugs or alcohol that people get you know sugar you know what i mean we were talking about before we turned the camera on man like i'm if i get my hands on a box of wagon wheels it's they're not they're not gonna they're not sticking around very long you know what i'm saying and that stuff can be deadly for sure you know and that stuff i, I have to continue to work on and i don't believe that drugs or alcohol are inher inherently evil and that no one should take them. And I know many people who can have great times using those things and can go out on a weekend and enjoy and and then go to work on Monday and put it down and not be obsessing about it. But um, I'm not that guy, you know, and not, nor do I think that my that I have a monopoly on mm. recovery or, or the solution to, to alcoholism or drug addiction. Would you mind sharing what sort of drugs you would take? Um, Alcohol, skunk, and prescription pills mixed together, um, and other things as well that that weren't my favourites. Yeah. You spoke about being twenty three, and I'm interested as to when do you think this started. Um, I think I've always felt that kind of hole in the soul, sense of separation, um, apart from the world, otherness from long before I discovered alcohol and drugs. I think I've always been 
you know, I remember being like nine years old and playing like Halo on the Xbox, just like not wanting to stop. You know, I'd walk home from school, just like walk home from school and just play games or watch horror films or, um, you know, compulsive eating, that kind of stuff. So I think I've always had that, that ism, that kind of I self me of, of, of alcoholism from, from as, as far back as I can remember really, um, codependent kind of romantically obsessed. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a, I, I, I really care about the solution and, and trying to live in that. I don't know whether I was born with it or something happened and nor do I want to sit in like a, uh, like a pity party, like kind of pour me, pour me, pour me another drink mentality, because that that's not good for me, you know. And um, my instinct is that I was from before I can consciously remember things. I feel like I had that, yeah. had that thing, that feeling of just like ah. Uh, and a quick way to numb out that feeling is to to do those things that I was describing, you know. Here's interesting. Uh, are you familiar with Gabo Mate's work? Of course, yeah. He's a he's a legend. Yeah, I mean, I love Gabor, and I've spoken to him a couple of times before on the show. We're, yeah. we're going to speak again in a couple yeah. of months, I think. And um, you know, I, I really, I like his broader definition of addiction um, because I think society has had this view of addiction. Oh, you know, drug addicts on the street corner, you know. Uh, or the, the 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 sort of overt alcoholic who can't function in life and you know has had to sell their house. You know these kind of really extreme sure. uh, examples, and I think we like to make ourselves feel a bit better that oh you know I'm not one of them. Yeah, that's you know, exactly right. I'm not an yeah. addict. And you know I know in an interview when I was researching you this morning, you've you said we live in an addicted world, and um, you know, Gabble's definition, I think, has sort of three key components. It's a, you know, it's when we crave something and get a reward from it. It's something that we can't give up. And the third component is where uh, we can't give it up in spite of negative consequences. And once you start broadening out to that, I think it's very hard for many of us to make a case that we all don't have some form of addiction, whether it mm. is you know, shopping, sex, Instagram, um, yeah. binge watching, you yeah. know, whatever it might be, coffee. We've sure. been chatting about that before, you sure. know, as well as heroin and cocaine and whatever, you know, I think, and what I love about Gabble's approach is, and, and it's something I completely subscribe to, it's a much more compassionate approach, you know, not why the addiction, why the pain. And um, yeah, as I think about that and think of, you and I, I, again, I want to be totally respectful of where you are in your journey and what you want to talk about. Um, you know, it doesn't sound as though you were using drugs at the age of nine, right? You were doing that later on alcohol. But you, I'm getting the impression that you were sort of felt you were drawn to just chuck yourself into things like you would you sort of numb out to computer games? Is that what, how you describe it? Totally, you know, to computer games or... Um you know, like food, obsessing over girls, porn, video games, um, anything, you know, anything to change to change the way I felt. Um, and there were consequences at, at, at that young age a little bit, but it was more when I kind of got into the realms of 
being an adult and was just if if I'd have met you like four or five years ago and I'd have come to do this I'd have been you know using in in your garden and like I'd have been looking in in your eyes thinking like when's you gonna stop talking so I can go and do my own thing whether it was you or anyone else whether it was you or a label head or an artist or anyone you know just very self-centered you know and that's and, and that's not because I don't feel like I be, I became, you know, an alcoholic because I, I drank or, or used um, obsessively or excessively. I think I, I drank and used obsessively and excessively be, because I am an alcoholic, you know, and that stuff was just was a solution to my problem, which is life itself. You know, when I get into recovery, I, I get surrendered by the bottle or by the bag. And then I think that I think that that's my problem and I put it down and I feel worse than I did when I was high. And then I become surrendered by life itself, and I try and p- pick up some um, suggestions that other human beings have, have put in my path to to try and um, get out of the way of myself and 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 live a life beyond my wildest dreams. You know, one day at a time. If I if I put in the work. How did fame at twenty one affect this? Would you say because? Like, I don't know, there's there's a certain spotlight then that gets put on people, the certain magnification of pressure. Um, you know, I'm not convinced anymore that these things then start afresh. I, I sort of feel, I feel very, very strongly. Uh, and I've said this during the last 12, 15 months as well, where people have had to live in very different ways to what they're used to, that, you know, whether it's the restrictions or it's fame or, ex- you know, public exposure, it's... I feel it's stress testing the system. It's putting more pressure in and it exposes like pre-existing faults. I don't mean fault in a blame way, but pre-existing cracks that were already there. I feel it just turns the gauge up so that you can start to expose those. I don't know how that sits with you in terms of what happens. I am... In answer to your question of like how did I find fame and success at twenty one or those kind of arenas and what it and what it brought up for me, um, I think it made me seem to the outside world very functional, and like, bar the people who were very close to me, you know, romantic partners or tour managers or promoters or the record label were well aware that there was there were problems and what on the receiving end of a lot of my kind of. Um, nastiness and um but you know I was sat after a part of my first time we taught it for three years and then finished touring that in like end of 2013 maybe and for three or four years I was sat in you know in an expensive flat in the middle of London by myself with a hole in my heart filling it with the stuff with the stuff I'm allergic to you know and I think it was hard it was maybe hard for um my own ego and judgment, that, that judgment that you were talking about, like, well, I'm not on a park bench homeless drinking a bottle of cheap, do you know what I mean? I'm not doing this drug or that drug or whatever. It's the one thing that separated me from from starting to, to, to live in the solution was my own judgments. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to go and sit in a church basement with a load of, you know, with, you know, very judgmental. Actually, it's exactly where I, it's exactly where I needed to be. Um, but in answer to your question, I think I I found it weird. I think to, in terms of like the fame, little bits of fame, like people coming up to you and like, oh, hey, like I love your stuff. I 
I, f I hope and I think I was always in that realm gracious with people and like thank you I really appreciate that um I, I really love music and it was wild to be like knocking around with you know artists that I've, I'd loved my whole life and becoming friends with people and all that kind of stuff um I think when someone's young and they get they get suddenly have a you know relatively big publishing deal or record deal or success then they're not no one's trained them to like be like responsible with like money or time or these kind of things it's like that's what happens with art you kind of get this block of an advance or whatever and it's like oh that's so I think that's kind of difficult I think that's where good managers and compassionate honest um fiscally assiduous managers are important to to help guide artists in in those realms but the main the main thing I think was just that I was like nothing's wrong with me I'm killing it I'm amazing everyone loves my music blah 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 yeah. very outwardly functional like I said sat sat in a flat in the middle of London with everyone's you know I remember being sat in a flat with my friend Cindy she works for Sony in New York she texted me she's like your song shine is the most repeat played song on in the whole world on Spotify this year and it just the whole world I just went it's like what in one ear and out the other I was like thanks man back to doing whatever I was doing you know not just not present and and, esca and yeah. escaping and, and totally powerless it's interesting that, um, you know, the theme of judgment, you know, judging other people for the way they're sort of dealing with their addictions. But that, that ain't me. I'm in my, you know, I've got a big single, I'm getting my nice pads. And, you know, we, we can tell ourselves so many stories about our lives. And yeah. I can guarantee, Ben, that there will be people, there will be hundreds of people listening right now who are in the same position and what you just shared probably was like straight to their heart. And they thought, you know what? That's, that's kind of me. You yeah. know, maybe not with the big album and the big song and that, do you know what I mean? But, but their version of that in their life. Sure. Man, it's there. It's, it's everywhere. Everywhere you look, that stuff is there. Yeah. And I hope, I hope something I, we talk about or that I say might be useful and goes without saying, like if anyone is, you know, People can find me easy, like if they want, ever want to chat. But if anyone is, feels like they're at a bottom and, and wants to like speak about, um, would be interested in, in hearing some of my story or, or the solution, just hit me up. I've done that plenty of times speaking to other people. and It might help me more than it helps them. You know, that's where I've been trained in recovery. I, I keep what I have by giving it away. I mean, it's incredible. Being a service to others is is like the antidote to deep long introspection and getting too self-focused you know it's 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 the simplest and i don't think it's the quickest antidote to getting out of that you know do something for somebody else yeah just finishing on judgment i think we're an incredibly judgmental society i have been very judgmental in the past it is something i actively try and catch myself on I do find I'm becoming less and less judgmental by the day. It feels yeah. really good. And I, and I realized that at the root of judgment is a feeling of inadequacy, either when we're judging other people or when we harshly judge ourselves. It's, it's a feeling that we're not good enough, we're inadequate. And I, I remember at school, I grew up in Manchester, well, I grew up in, um, in South Manchester in Cheshire, went to school in Manchester, secondary school, Big, you know, academically, you know, very um, driven school. 
um, big football culture in Manchester, you know, so, you know, who you support is a big part of your identity at mm. school. And, you know, everyone loved football or seemingly was into football. I don't think it's quite the same thing. Um, but what was interesting is how judgmental we were. And I probably was of young footballers who were caught doing all kinds of stuff in nightclubs when they were 18, 19, <laughs> yeah. right? And, you know, slapped on the front page of the sun or the mirror, yeah, yeah. you know, basically just destroying these people. And then if you think about it, you think, I don't know, if you've left school, you're at 16, you're with a club, you're training all the time, you suddenly are getting 30 grand a week. I, I kind of... I kind of challenge many people not to make a few mistakes. What is your relationship being to judgment, would you say? Um, I agree with what you're saying. It comes from a place, for, for me, I can only speak for myself, but from a place of my own low self-esteem or, or feelings of inadequacy. The one thing that separated me from getting clean and sober for a long time was my own judgments, exactly like you were talking about 15 minutes ago. I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. Those young footballers that you're talking about, you know, they've got cameras on them all the time. How many of how many of us human beings can truly say that we've lived, that we've been spiritually fit 24 hours a day? I don't know anyone. I don't even know, you know, spiritual leaders or religion. You know, you hear story. You know that story about the monk came out and he's like flying around in private jets, like smoking blunts in jets. So it's like dances. You know what I mean? It's like wild. And like, you know, a phrase I really love is like, but for the grace of God, there go I. And I, I use the word God with a small g, but like, that's me. You know, the seconds and inches, you know, like of, of causing chaos and, and being in the wrong place at the wrong time and, I think a lot of young kids, man, like if they had cameras on them all the time filming and then they had that one inappropriate joke they'd made or that one stupid decision they'd made or that one awful thing that they'd done filmed, written in bold capitals and slapped on the on the front of the sun, yeah. then everyone would be under the bus. You know, and that's not to excuse anyone's harmful behaviours, um, my own included, but I think like... Yeah, love is a is a is a way forward, and 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 with time, forgiveness, and that forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting, but like I know in my life when like, and I, I won't mention names, but there are people like family stuff where I feel like people have done like serious harms to me in the in the same way that I have to other people, and like until I'm willing to like see it try and see it from a higher perspective i'm just in a cage you know and that's a big thing and you know for people in recovery like i cannot afford resentments or judgment because if i if i'm in a in a space of resentfulness or judgmental judgmentalism the sunlight of the spirit is blocked and i'm wrapped up in myself again right back in the middle of my life and i've got 15 years of field research that, that tells me that my self-reliance and my me running purely on my own power leads me to the to the doors of a treatment center feeling suicidal having having burned down my life you know my, my self-reliance has, has failed me in that in that respect and i I'm, i need to quit playing god you know yeah. what i mean let's talk about recovery because you know as you say you're over three years clean and you know there, there's a real there's a real authenticity speaking to you um 
which I love. And I've got to be honest, I find, find quite rare these days. Um, you know, you've, you come to my house, we've had a drink of water, sparkling <laughs> water, just to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, yeah. you know, a hot drink as well. And yeah. um, we've been chatting and I, I have been struck by your humility, your gratitude, your authenticity. I really have. It's It's been a really lovely energy uh, to be around. Thanks, same to you. And... You know, is that something that was there pre-recovery or do you feel that is something that recovery has given you? I don't believe that anyone is born like sinful or evil or defective or um, nasty. Um, I think there were probably, you know, I believe that deep down in every, uh, you know, man, woman and child or however anyone chooses to identify that there's that f- the fundamental idea of good or God or, or, or spirit. Um, so I think, okay, you know, it's funny that I've met a few artists like recently I'm writing with and stuff that like, oh, I met you back in the day, like 10 years ago at a festival, you were, you sat, you were really, you sat with me, you sat my, you know, when, when people occasionally, I'm not saying that oh, everyone's saying it's amazing, but say don't, but like, I'm kind of shocked when I hear that sometimes. They're like, oh man, you were so nice to me 10 years ago. I'm like, someone's like, I met you 10 years ago. I'm like, oh my God. Um, so I think there were, there were parts of it, yeah. But for the, it was, it's definitely a practice that recovery has given me. Um, and um, recovery has given me the ability um, to be honest and, and, you know, and have integrity. Um, and I don't get all those things perfect all the time. But it's I didn't get those things by stopping drinking and, and using, you know, like when I stop drinking and using, I'm I'm in trouble. And and I, I got those things by picking up the solution and, you know, the process of clearing the channel between me and whatever that thing is that's been there the whole time that I was standing in the way of. I don't know if that answers your your, your yeah. question quite. No, no, it's yeah, it it does and it's you know, it's fascinating because all that goodness is there within all of us and somewhere along the line we go off track and actually a lot of what we're trying to do when we're trying to find ourselves is just kind of return back to who we already were. Patient-wise, I've I've been involved with uh, lots of people who've been struggling with various addictions. I know some people really well, some good friends who have had very public battles with addiction um you know rich roll a good friend of mine fellow podcast host we've he's been on the show three times and we've spoken about his journey with alcohol and he's a legend he is yeah yeah. he's He's, a legend he's he's amazing and um what's really interesting is that i find like even someone like russell brands who i've not on the show yet i hope to in the next few months yeah um but I, i i i'm struck as someone who has never been down that path. Now, I'm very clear, it doesn't mean I've not had addictions. I absolutely have. Yeah. But as someone who's, I guess, not hit that rock bottom in a way in terms of, let's say, alcohol or drugs, and has then had to go into a formal process of recovery, what I'm struck by is when I talk to people like you 
or Rich Roll or I see Russell Brand speak, what I often see are people who really get life, who by going so extreme in one direction, they seem to have more of a realization of what truly makes us tick and makes us happy than people who've never been to that extreme, who just sort of slightly off the edges. What goes on there that gives people these really great principles to apply in their daily life? Because I actually think we could all probably learn from them. Yeah, I am. Um... You know, I'm no expert on on recovery or those or those those beautiful twelve suggestions, but I think the the thread that that connects those three, you know, me and and those those guys who talk about who I love and and many people in in recovery, of, of course, love, is like uh, we've all. I can only speak for myself. I imagine that they might say a similar thing. Is we've all been at the point of surrender. And accepting that by myself, I am uh, powerless over this thing that I'm allergic to, and that my self reliance and self will um, has failed me. And I need, I desperately need new, um, new management. And I make that, and by and by new management, I don't mean <laughs> just to be clear. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. Um, You're happy with your yeah, manager. Yeah, I love Mark. Mark, shout out to Mark today here. Um, you know, and and but just knowing that I need it isn't enough. I then have to. I, I make that contract saying, you know, making a decision to turn to turn my, you know, my thoughts and my actions and my will and my life over to that place. And then, and then, but just doing that isn't enough. You know, I could say like, if I said, oh, you know, God, I'd really love a sip of coffee right now. Then I don't, you know, it'd be cool if it did, but the coffee, my cup here isn't going to like magically like come up and come into my hand. You know, I need to do the work to like, to, to clear that channel and gain access to that thing that I believe has always been there. And, and some of that work is, you know, you used the word, you know, you've used a few like kind of spiritual terms and, getting honest with myself with another person making amends to, to people I've harmed not saying sorry I've said sorry a million times I'm sorry man you know amends and and then what's the difference um to me it's only my my experience but the difference is asking for someone's forgiveness and being accountable and naming what I've done you know the difference would be like Hey, X and Y, um, I'm sorry for that time I was an X and Y to you, you know. Or, hey man, can I have a minute of your time? You know, I I'm, I deeply regret how I treated you back then. I know it was mean and nasty, controlling, judgmental. You know, by the grace of God, it's not a behavior I'll repeat. And I am, um, you know, I'm trying to live in a way which is less destructive. And I hope you can forgive me. And I, I deeply apologize. When you do that, when you take the time to make amends like that, how much of the teaching or how much of what you're trying to apply is I need to do that and not be attached to the outcome of that? And so the reason this is so important to me is I feel a lot of the time we give our power away to other people and we 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 create we become prisoners because we our well-being 
is dependent on what other people do around us, how they interact with us, what they say when we say something to them. And I think that's very human and I understand that. But I know in my own life, this peace and contentment that I feel these days comes from a real um, detachment from the outcome of what I do. Like if I was to say that to someone and they're not ready to hear it, I've still got to be satisfied and go, you know what? That's cool. Like, yeah, absolutely. Do you, I mean, how do how do you look at that? Uh, that situation you're describing does happen regularly in in with with me and and some of the guys I'm lucky enough to work with. Um, I, I've I've done my part. You know, I'm not um, I'm not God, and it would be wrong of me to kind of force those things on someone else. And sometimes, you know, I, I might reach out, and it's very clear that someone doesn't want to hear from me, and I. Uh, you know, I, I need to respect that and not and not ruin an opportunity to maybe be useful um, later on. But I'd say, and people are well within their right, you know, to to not want to speak or not want to talk. That's absolutely fine. Um, but my experience has been that ninety five percent of the time, I'm amazed at how um, willing people are to, to you know to hear something like that. Or even amazed that they're like Ben, like what you, we were fifteen, you know, like or the, you know. But and I need to be careful as well not to to go in and try and seek praise and and adulation for like you know going and sitting down with someone and being like I'm enlightened, you know what I mean? Because yeah. so, I'm not, you know. A couple of things there. One is that um, I've gone through. I know, nerves at times with before you coming up right because it's not really nerves but just like an apprehension at sometimes thinking thinking this is a health podcast right i want to help inspire people to live better lives and it started off uh i would talk to you know experts in their field yeah and i've branched out loads of times but i want to branch out more and more because i feel what I want to do is take health outside the health space. Like I think health is life. Health is health is everything. We we take our health with us in every interaction that we do. And I feel that we learn through storytelling. We learn through other people. Every single human being has got a story that we can learn something from. Not only am I incredibly inspired by you as a as an artist and a songwriter, but there's always something about your warmth when you I think first messaged me on Instagram a couple of years ago that. That I've really, I liked that energy. And what you said there about trying to make amends rather than saying sorry, I think, I'm always trying to think, how is this relevant to someone who doesn't feel they're an addict? But I really see a parallel in relationships where, you know, let's say, I don't know, two partners, um, husband, wife, whatever, where there's a bit of friction and you're trying to make an apology. But if the apology doesn't go down the way you want it to, Oh, it's not worth trying. Yeah, You know, they're so common, these yeah. little traps that people fall into. Yeah. I have fallen into them in the past. But when you can kind of break free from that, and and I think that it's those words, honesty and integrity. Because when you're acting with honesty and integrity, it actually doesn't matter what the outcome of that is as long as you, you know, what, what does honesty and integrity mean to you? Feeling like I've done my part. without trying to manipulate or control the outcome. 
and that has come from a place of um true surrender and like accountability that's I, that's the best i can do i'm not i'm not in songs i'm all right with language but when i'm speaking i find it hard to like i don't know what the definition is of those words i know how they feel in my system you know like it, it'd be like i don't know what's a good example and i and man i'm no angel you know progress not perfection i get I, i'm not a saint i'm trying to grow along you know lines that 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 might be useful to me and, and to other people but i'll give you an example and i've shared about this in 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 meetings being back and this is something i've done in sobriety you know i'm not just getting sober doesn't mean that i'm switched on you know i need to to follow those things and you know pick pick up those tools one day at a time being backstage at a festival and going up to an artist that i'm not don't I don't hate them, but I'm not obsessed with them and being like, man, like I love the music. Do you know what I mean? Like that kind of that subtle dishonesty of being at a soiree and you know what London, you know, you're at the Soho House or Ned and he's like, yo, rang wrong and it's like, yo, like, you know, and there's like famous people there and presenters and you know, someone like they, they've got money or whatever. Do you know what I mean? That kind of stuff and being like, hey, you know, like that that I th when, I, when I get home after those things, I'm I feel icky because yeah. I've been dishonest. If I've gone up to someone and been like, "Man, like I'm, a, I love your new record," you know, and it's like, it's not something I do as much anymore. But I, I I'm capable yeah. of that stuff without checking myself. You know what I mean? Like, kind of. Uh, uh, mate, I do don't you know what I'm saying, mate. I I think you just gave the best example ever for me. It's it's something I think I've done in the past. And the thing is, you can't hide from yourself. Yeah, yeah, literally. That's the truth about yeah. it. You can't hide. You can do that stuff and it can yeah, yeah. it can seem okay. But, you know, when you're sitting alone, you know that you've yeah. done something that's not in alignment with who you are. Yeah, totally. And I think when I think of honesty, I think of, you know, this kind of radical honesty with yourself. It's that honesty with yourself. You're like, you know what, if you've got weaknesses you're trying to work on don't try and kid yourself as much as possible that you don't have them accept them acknowledge who you are but then also try and show up in the world as a respectful humble human being but by showing up in the world a certain way it doesn't mean you've sorted all that stuff out and i this is something i've been wrestling with over the last few months as i um and i was telling you before i've just submitted the first draft of my next book uh i mean this is the most raw, personal, and I think it's the most honest. And I think it's the best book I've ever written. Like, I cannot wait for this to come out. Amazing. Because it, I think it it really is my passion project, what I've been wanting to say for years, but maybe didn't feel um, comfortable enough in my own skin. Still try and be the doctor. You know, what, what should a doctor sound like? Mm. Do you know what I mean? This, mm. And it's... A term that I've been thinking about and been writing about and I'm bringing it up because I kind of feel something you said that even when you're mentoring young artists or, you know, what the, the example you shared about this kind of fake praise to someone, hey, man, I really love your work, even though you don't, you don't need to say that. You could just say, hey, how's it going? Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. And, and performative authenticity. Right. We're thinking about the word authenticity and I've been thinking about this whole concept of particularly around social media. I think there is a performative authenticity sometimes on social media. It's it's so hip and cool to be authentic that I think we have 
totally misrepresented the word. So, and I think people are doing this without even realizing it. They're sort of minimizing uh, sometimes privilege, sort of uh, over-exaggerating uh, sort of insecurities and weaknesses. And I was chatting to my wife about this last week when I was just finishing off this bit. I was trying to chew over a few ideas and we were basically just saying that, or the conclusion was, I actually think it's very, very hard to be authentic on social media. I think the platform, it celebrates inauthenticity. But I I really feel that the, the, the danger is that you start to change that photo a little bit because you look a little bit better, right? I, I, this is a quite an extreme example because we all do that to a certain degree. But once you start doing that or you start to tell a vulnerable story, that's not really the truth, but it's you know it's what the platform wants and you see this everywhere. Then the problem is, is that you get love and validation for a person who you're not. And therefore, you're incentivized to keep portraying that person online. But meanwhile, inside, there's a little shell of a person. And I was chatting to someone um, yesterday about this who literally high-profile influencer opening up. I won't say who it is. Um, they're saying, yeah, my life online, I know it looks so I'm having a whale of a time, but my life is broken. Yeah. And you think how many of us are looking at people like that? And I don't know, I'm still, I'm fully articulate my thoughts on that, but I don't know what you would say to any of that. Just taking a quick break to give a shout out to Athletic Greens and Vivo Barefoot who are sponsoring today's show. Nutrition, of course, is a crucial ingredient for our health. It matters for our physical health, but also for our mental and emotional well-being as well. When we feed ourselves the right nutrients, our brain functions better. We've got more energy. We've got more focus, and it can really improve our moods. Now, Athletic Greens make one of the most nutrient-dense whole food supplements that I've ever come across. It contains vitamins, minerals, digestive enzymes, prebiotics, probiotics, and I myself take it regularly. What would accept in an ideal world, everybody should get all of their nutrition from real whole food. But the truth is, as I have seen time and time again with many of my patients, that a lot of us struggle to consistently do that. That is why I am a big fan of good quality whole food supplements like Athletic Greens. So if you want to take something each morning as an insurance policy to make sure that you are meeting your nutritional needs, I can highly recommend it. For listeners of the show, if you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more, you can access a special offer where you get 10 free travel packs with your subscription. You can check it out at athleticgreens.com forward slash live more. This show is also brought to you today by Vivo Barefoot. Now, Vivo Barefoot make barefoot minimalist shoes. And I myself have been wearing their shoes for over eight years now, well before they started supporting my podcast. And they really have transformed my own life, as well as that of my family, many of my friends, and a lot of my patients. You know, you can experience so many benefits when you transition to minimalist shoes like Vivo's. You can see improvements in back pain, hip pain, knee pain, foot pain. And you can also get this real increased enjoyment of movements because when you're walking in minimalist shoes, it makes you much more mindful of the experience as you feel much more connected to the grounds. 
Now, wearing them is super, super comfy. And there's new research now from the University of Liverpool that shows simply wearing Vivos for your daily activity for about six months. So I'm not talking about running, right? You can run in them if you want to, but I'm just talking about working in them, walking in them, going to the shops in them, right? Simply doing that increases your foot strength by almost 60%, which is absolutely incredible. They've got shoes for kids and adults. They're the only shoes that my wife and I wear, and they're the only shoes that I get for my children. So if you've never tried them before, I honestly would really encourage you to give them a go. It's completely risk-free to do so because they offer a 100-day trial for new customers. So if you don't like them, if you're not happy, you just send them back for a full refund. For listeners of my show, they offer a fantastic discount. So if you go to vivobarefoot.com forward slash live more, they are giving 20% off as a one-time code for all of my podcast listeners in the UK, USA, and Australia. You can get your 20% off codes by going to vivobarefoot.com forward slash live more. I can only speak for myself, but I think living and living and dare I say, even monetizing um, a dishonest representation of oneself, which I have done before, um, will eat will slowly eat your soul. But like you say, you got nowhere to, even when you get home, even if you get home, you're in a million pound bed in a hundred million dollar mansion, you're lying in bed and there's nowhere to hide. But in, inside, there's that voice inside going, you're really, pull, you're really pulling, the, you know, you can't escape it. You can't escape that, 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 that spirit, you know, it's just like, I'm here and I love you, but like, what are you doing, Ben? Do you know what I mean? Like, I do that, yeah, it's like editing pictures and stuff. I mean, everyone does it, but it's, you know, there's a lot of sick people, me me included, you know, like just kind of, yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel, I, I hope it, that kind of stuff, I feel like it's starting to get into its death roll. And I'm lucky enough to work with like young, you know, 19, 20 year old artists who are right at the front of that social media, very credible, extremely gifted, kind, young humans. And they're so inspiring to be around, man. They're like so on top of this stuff and aware and aware yeah, of it. That's awesome. They're almost like post cancel culture. Do you know what I mean? They're like post um, self obsession or something. You know, yeah. like they're so. Fr- I'm like, I'm, this was not the way ten years ago. They're so fresh and hardworking and kind and compassionate and gifted. And yes, you know, in the artistic communities, we're generally all kind of like, you know, left leaning. But they 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 don't get into the hatred and the judgment that so many people can get into. Which for me, when I'm in a place of judgment, when I'm on that fro, and it's like it's a cold, it's a cold seat. For someone like yourself, whose debut album blew up, okay, um, you're five days off. You you're seven days off the release of your your fifth album. I think it's fourth. Fourth and like a few EPs. Okay. So fourth album. Yeah. Let's let's compare and contrast. Ben, 10 years ago, one week before Last Smoke, before the snowstorm comes out. Ben, today, one week before To Carry A Whale comes out. You know, what's, what is the difference? You know, you, you've 
you fundamentally seem to have changed so many aspects of who you are and how you show up in the world. So how how does that relate to such a big moment or a significant moment, I should say? I think the, diff- the, the, the first thing that comes to mind is that I'm more awake. This time, 10 years ago, I was probably backstage at a festival, drunk or, or, or on drugs and, and not awake, not really bothered. Um, a, big, a big difference that I feel is like I'm more in love with songs. Like I've always loved songs and been in love with it and kind of been addicted to music in a way, but I feel way more in love with like songwriting and more here for it. I remember being like like one or two days clean sober and being like, oh my God, I'll never be able to write a song again. But it's, my experience has been that I've, I feel like I've become a better songwriter, a better listener, more empathetic around artists, more grateful to learn from them even if they're at the start of their journey. Um, I'm just, I'd say I'm just more awake. But it's funny with, I think artists will relate to this, but it's funny with releasing an album. Like to everyone else, it's new, but to me, it's like a year old. You know, you must have that with books. It's like, it's like, I'm already writing for the next one. Do you know what I mean? I've already got a Dropbox folder of songs and bouncing them with my manager. And I'm grateful to put it out to the world. And I know it's part of the the, the kind of of game of the music industry. and I'm really proud of it. And the difference is I'm, I was more awake for the creation of this album as well. Like me and my producer, Get Cape, Wear Cape, Fly, like we left no stone unturned, you know, like, and there were other, other humans who worked on the album as well who are too many to mention, but they're, they're incredible yeah. and I'm eternally grateful to them. Um, we were really focused. We were like, this is, I want to be a 10 track album. It's going to be called To Carry Away. It's going to be about living with this thing that I live with and that it's heavy, but it's also... You know, it's kind of like a beautiful thing to be aware of. And we got rid of a lot of like big-ish, whatever that means, you know, songs that like publishers loved and stuff from the albums. It like it wasn't true to the message of this. It didn't make yeah. sense in the thematically in the context of the album. Um man, you know, you know what Capo is on the guitar where you let like, so like we me and Sam get KP produce the album. We spent literally days recording the same song. And I was like, no, the capo's wrong. We did it all, recorded the drums, guitar, vocal, like move the capo down to four, move it up to set. You know, we were like To suit your voice or to suit the tonality of the song? To, to mainly to suit my voice, which really is like the feel of the song. And that ten years ago was something that I, my reaction to Sam and myself suggesting we got this wrong, let's go again, would have been, no, no, no. Don't bother. I'd rather go outside and chill, do my own thing. You know, that extra, that that awakeness and kind of respect and love for the for the music and to get it just right. Because it's, I told myself this myth as a young artist, which is like, songs just land in your lap. It's all God, man. It's all chill, blah, 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 blah. I'm just going to be sat here on my bed writing a song. And once or twice I've had songs land like that. But the most part is like, I've realized recently, like, starting to love the craft part of it as well. Sitting with a verse and going, let's change the chord at the end of the verse or that one lyric. is it but or is it cause you know what i mean like the, the little twists and turns that then when you listen to the whole piece it's like oh it makes a difference you know what i mean i'm i'm you know the difference i'm i'm, I'm sorry all that I c-, you know like it wouldn't have sounded if i apologize you know what i mean it's a, it's a different thing the willingness to like stare it down and like and listen to other artists and and not think that just because i've told for longer i've had more success or less success than someone or whatever that man and honestly i learn more from like 16 year old kids who've just been signed who i'm lucky enough to write with and learn from than i do with yeah megastars because they don't know and they they just it's all feel 
Yeah. It's all that thing we were talking about in the, in the context of recovery, like that thing deep down in every man, man, woman, and child, or however anyone identifies that, that fundamental idea, that juice, you know, and for some people that comes out of songs or, or creating an equation or being an amazing single parent or being a teacher or a doctor, scientist, whatever, cleaner, you know, that the, the, the thing where it's like, oh my God, I love that. I love like just sitting with you and having a coffee before we get into whatever we're going to do. Yeah, there's a certain freshness, isn't there, when people haven't been, I guess, jaded by the industry and not got stuck into a rut of doing things, which, yeah. you know, we can do. It must be lovely to, well, I imagine working with 16-year-olds is helpful for you as a songwriter. Yeah. But I imagine it's pretty helpful as a human being as well. Yeah, it's cool. It's like fresh and like often like they'll have, you know, their parents like come with them to the studio, which is awesome. And it's like nice to meet people. And I have, I have much to learn, man. You know, I'm not, um, I'm not God. Can you over tinker? Like, so you've got a song and you, it's pretty good. And you're moving around with the, with the capo to get the right tone in your voice, to get the message right. You know, do you, I guess I'm asking because I struggle when I'm writing to know at what point is it? Okay, we're done. And I'll tell you, for me, deadlines have been uh, critical yeah. because I know, okay, the book's going to print now. This is the best I can do at this time. And what I say to, um, you know, I speak to a lot of younger authors who sort of hit me up for advice. And I um, actually wonder what you think of this. I don't know if I've told the story on the, on the, on the show before, but I, I remember when Bono was interviewed after, it's the pop, was it pop or pop marts? I can't remember what it was called now. The, the pop mart album sort of, you know, um, in the early 90s. And it was maybe a year after it came out and, and he was interviewed about it and he, he said, listen, the, t- the, the, the album wasn't ready, but the tour had already sold out. We had the world tour, but so the album just had to go out. And had we released it a year later, it would have been a completely different album because all of those songs evolved yep. uh, on tour and they actually properly formed on tour, yep. but we just had to put it out. And I always thought about, I, I used to be, a, well, I still am, but but I used to, you know, obsess about music. I'd get albums, I'd be listening all the time, I'd be reading CD booklets, getting oh God, Q magazine, yeah. like yeah, yeah. the works. Yeah. Um, and I, I found that really helpful because I thought, okay, Rungan, look, this is art. You don't, just because you've sent the book off to print, doesn't mean your thought process has stopped. It still continues. The minute after you send that email and it goes, it's still working. But if I didn't have a deadline, I think I could work on a book for five years. And so for me, I found these deadlines really, really helpful just to get that balance where it's it's good enough because you can, you know, with you, I mean, how do you feel about this? You can always change a song, right? You can always yeah. add something or take something yeah. out or play. Yeah, I think... Yes, in answer to your question, yes, one can over tinker and it often happens that you know, the, the day one, you know, I've, I work with a, a wonderful, I want no names, but a, amazing, very seasoned producer a lot of the time. And his day one, it, if we work with an artist, what he sends at the end of the day at 8 p.m., it's always amazing. And then if he plays with it more, sometimes it's not as good, you know, because it's just when it's just feel and it's just like, yeah, I'm just trusting my instincts here and bouncing on this sonic or bouncing on on the track, it's... um. Is beautiful. So yeah, I think you can over tinker. I mean, you can always 
I feel like the artist thing is that you're never really 100%, at least I'm never really 100% um, content with something. Um, but my general rule is like, do I, especially being awake, you know, do I really feel like this is as good as it could be? You know, do I feel like I've sung it in a surrendered fashion? Do I think like, the sounds are as good? Do I think the tempo is right? Do I think the key is right? Do I, one thing I like, I say a lot in the studio is that if someone sings in front of me, I'm like, I believe you. You know what I mean? I believe that. That's amazing. I totally believe you. You can see if you turn on the TV and you see someone singing a song or doing a dance or whatever, you can tell if you... It, even if someone's not got an amazing voice, if they sing it like their life depends on it and they believe in it, it's like, I'm in. Yeah. Plenty of people don't have amazing... I don't think... I, I don't think I've got an amazing... Plenty of people I work with I don't, don't think have amazing voices, but they know how to use it and and have it come from here as opposed to here. Yeah, authenticity, right? It's what we connect to. It's um, it's one of the reasons I feel that long-form podcasting is doing so well all over the globe um, in a culture where people say no one's got time. The evidence suggests otherwise. You know, yeah. you've got Joe Rogan putting three-hour-plus podcasts out, biggest show in the world. Um, you know, Tim Ferriss, Rich Roll, you know, this podcast is doing very well yeah congrats with, with long form yeah and i think something you touched on there is that over a two-hour conversation you can't fake it right you can fake it and on a three-minute live tele interview yeah, yeah you can fake it you can say the right things you can give the sound bites yeah 90 minutes two hours people will see right through it so i yeah. feel like I've said it before, I think long-form conversation is one way to change the world. I really do. Yeah, I think it's the modern-day campfire. Um, I love that. I've not heard that before. That's great. Yeah, modern-day campfire. I like that. Where, where we can really just have these human conversations. But I think what you're speaking to there is authenticity. Not, it's not necessarily the person with the best voice. It's the one who can connect the most. And that speaks to what you were talking about. I think in recovery, you talk about other people being in service. I'm, one quote I've written down to yourself was... Um, You've said before that a dangerous place for you to be is when you think you can do everything by yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think my, you know, my mind is a dangerous neighborhood to hang out in by myself. You know what I mean? It just like I can get so caught in self and wrapped up in self. And and my, again, my experience shows me that, that 15 years of running on self and thinking, Ben, I got this and putting myself right in the middle of my life, being all wrapped up in myself, ended up in um, just continual heartbreak for me, for me and those people around me, you know, and that, that as not to say I'm, I'm always free of that now, but it's, you know, I'm human, but it's less, it's less by not, trying to manipulate and control and 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 run the, and run the show myself you know what i mean not, i'm not i'm no longer playing the director having it casting everyone around and saying go here go here go here go here you know i'm just like just yeah what will what will be will be it might not be it's not going to be on my time but that's okay you know given that you've been sober for three years now and given how important being around with connecting with other people is 
have the last 15 months of these distancing restrictions, how have they been for you and has it made recovery even more challenging? That's a great question. I think I'm aware that through my own privilege and luck and success in music that I've felt the, felt the nipper less than like most of the world did. You know, I was able to be in a place of comfort and in my home. And for that, I'm, you know, grateful and privileged. And It wasn't as challenging as I thought it would be. The community moved onto Zoom the community of kind human beings who share their common solution with me, you know, one day at a time and who I help occasionally um, all moved on to Zoom. And I, I've seen, I know people personally, people I've been texting when I was on the train today who who hit their rock bottom in the pandemic and got sober on Zoom by being broken enough to follow suggestions. And also, you know, it, it can be nerve wracking for someone to walk into a, a, you know, a church basement or a community hall or, wh or whatever the place might be, you know, on Zoom, you know, everyone's got different opinions on this and I'm I'm no expert on recovery or on music or on health or medicine or anything, but um, I've seen people come in and get sober on Zoom, bro broken enough to like let go of their own ideas and follow suggestions. And some of those people are my closest friends. I was texting one, a, a friend of mine in, in Nashville before I came on here and... Um, I'm looking forward to when stuff goes back face to face, you know, but we, the, 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 the recovery, um, road that I'm on is very democratic and stuff is done by group conscience and vote and, and nothing. There's no leader or no dues to pay or fees to pay, or there's no like God, you know what I mean? Like there's no, by God, I mean, like, there's no like figure who's like, I am the boss of, of this place. You know, it's all like, everyone's got a voice and, we we constantly speak about when it's right and appropriate to go back into into in person gatherings, and you know, and it, and it's in some of the stuff you know, a few in person things have have started to open up, and and the kindness I see is incredible. You know, so obviously when it's, it's it's a lot of time in London, I don't know where the government restrictions are at with stuff, but it's like only fifteen people can be in a room. Well, what happens if fifteen people who have got twenty years clean and sober go to a room to meet to to engage in recovery and a newcomer who's drunk come, comes outside the meeting, are they going to get turned away? And that would never happen, you know, because I've seen old timers be in meetings and a newcomer comes and there's not space for them. The old timer walks out and go, you, you take my seat. You're more important here. That's incredible. Do you know what I mean? I, so there, there's stuff to discuss with like when we're going to go in person or not, but you know, I'm, I'm no expert. I've, in answer to your question, I've actually gone, started going to um, spending more time in and around I already spent a lot of time there, but I can go every day, 24 hours a day. I could go if I wanted, you know, it's incredible. And Zoom, you know, yeah, we can get stuff done. I, I miss the kind of smell of coffee and, you know, like the the kind of romance of, of, of meeting spaces. But, um, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to be, um, we're trying to follow rules and, and not play God anymore and not do exactly what we wanted to do, you know, um, for me at least, which is do exactly what I wanted to do if it harmed, regardless of if it harmed other people and, you know, people in recovery were, you know, working a, working an honest yeah. path, uh, hopefully are out of the business of 
putting themselves in the middle of their own lives. It sounds like a key skill that one learns in recovery is compromise. Is that fair to say? I um I've not heard that word before in that in that context, but I think it, for me at least a key skill is accepting that I'm not always right. My my idea isn't always the best and um that the you know a group of recovering alcoholics and addicts together is a powerful powerful force. You know, I went to doctors and therapists and scientists and all people I look up to and respect as does everyone in the recovery community, you know, God-given important gifted selfless people. Um but no, I don't think um I don't know about compromise, but I think just knowing that like us together is more important than me getting my own getting my own way. You know, so if the group or if a, a collection of, of 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 humans in recovery think um think we're gonna not go and in person for a while, but I wanna go in person, then I've, you know, I guess compromise might be the right word. Okay, you know. There were ten yeah. of us in this room, eight of us said, let's chill on Zoom for a bit, and two of us wanted to go in. Let's let's hear let's hear the minority voice because it's important and it's right to do so. Um but this is this is what we're gonna do. I need to get up. I'm not yeah. I'm out of the business of putting my hands on the wheel and, you know, driving my car into the side of the mountain. Uh this is what I was getting at before. I think these lessons that I hear from people who have been in recovery, there just seems to be these universal lessons that we could all benefit from. You know, when you said there, well, I've learned that I'm not always right. And that sometimes someone else has got a better opinion or a whatever than me. I don't know that there's a single human being out there who couldn't do with hearing that and being reminded of that, myself included. Do you know what I mean? I, 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 feel, I really feel there's something about when the pain's so bad, people learn the real truths of life. And I've heard some people um, who are in recovery say, it was the best thing that ever happened to them and they learned so much from it and they wouldn't have it any other way which is really powerful when you yeah, hear I agree that with that do you agree with that yeah well people use like to say a great people think if someone doesn't really understand it might think people are nuts but like you'll hear like you know i'm a grateful alcoholic or i'm a grateful addict those kind of sayings a lot and um you know i needed every um I needed the harms that I caused and, and the harms that I, I, I did to myself and every drink I ever had to get to that point, and every, in my case, every drug as well, to get to that point of surrender, just like my self-reliance is failing me here. I will fail to manage my own life. I cannot stop when I want to. I cannot stay stopped once I'm stopped. Once I start, I have little control over the amount I take. And uh, I'm, fa I'm failing as I'm failing at playing God and, and being the director of the show. I'm just grateful to be, to, you know, to be where I am. And I'm not an expert. I don't think it's for everyone. I have no monopoly on recovery. And hopefully something I say might be useful. But sometimes people are only in your life for a, for a reason or for a season, right? You know, and it is hard sometimes, like, 
think you're like, oh God, you know, I, I, we were in love or like I missed that person and that's done. If, I, if only we could know each other now and I'm, I'm different, you know, that can be a little, a little tricky to accept that they're probably people who I, who I'm in love with, you know, or, or have a big love for in my heart that I probably won't see and see, might, may not see or speak to again in, in this life. But I have to remember that, like, I'm no longer running the show and I trust that there's a bigger plan for me. And, like, as soon as I try and get my hands all over it and manipulate and, you know, like, I'm just... Yeah. I'm, my All my experience shows me that I'm, I'm, it's not good for me, but I forget that. You've used the term God a few times in our conversation. Uh, another term that I, I really enjoyed hearing is spiritually fit. And I'm interested in how you would see yourself. Are you religious? Are you spiritual? You know, how, how do those things fit together for you? Um, I definitely don't think I'm spiritually fit 24 hours a day. I, I, what what I, does it mean, being spiritually uh, fit? For me, it means being out of the way of myself, being willing to trust that there's a, there's a, there's a, a greater plan for, for me and um, to not put my hands all over it, to not be in the business of judgment, to not be in the business of manipulation and control, to not be in the business of um, dishonesty. Um, yeah, I believe I believe in. I believe that there's a God. I'm not religious. I'm not a member of any organized like religion. That isn't for me. If it works for many people, it's, it's not something that currently I'm in or around. But. There've been too many coincidences and seconds and inches moments, what I would call God shots in my life. Right person, right time, right place, right time. You know, for me to um, to not believe, you know, and the one thing that, you know, I've done consistently since the last time I was drunk or high was hit my knees each morning and, and just to ask for help, you know, and I, ch I choose to use the word God, but... I've been lucky that I've been taught that it's a God of my own understanding and my God is not everyone else's God and my God would probably get another alcoholic drunk and their God would probably get me drunk and, you know, like I'm, they're all kinds of people in, in, in the places that I go to and, you know, I've sat in meetings of recovering alcoholics next to, on one side of me I've got a single mother, the other side of me I've got an Orthodox Jew, the other side of me I've got an ex-pimp, I've got, I got a, a Muslim next to me in a in a hijab you know and they're my friends like I don't care just because like they might believe something different to me or, or whatever like we're all there for you know that common solution and um it's really beautiful and I have much to learn from those people um my experience is that the religion of my childhood blocked me from the god that I know now yeah. because so much of it was man-made um wow and and again you know my truth is not everyone else's truth. And I have many friends who are, you know, the practice organized religion, that's okay. And it, it can be very helpful and very beautiful to many people. Um, but no, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm religious, but I, but I believe in God. I love the term energy that keeps coming up in this conversation. I think the energy, the intention behind how we speak, what we say, I think, I think it's everything. I think it's everything. Um, I remember the, the very first message you sent me 
on Instagram. I looked at it this morning. Oh, really? What did I say? How long ago? Was it like five years? No, I th- it was 2018 or 2019. Okay. okay. And I was probably a bit starstruck at the time. I was like, I think I was starstruck as well. But I think he must have followed me, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" My friend Michael's like, "Rongan, man, he's amazing." You know, I was talking to you about off screen. He's like, "He's a doctor." He's like, "Rongan's amazing, man." So the feeling was mutual. Well, probably. you sent me a message saying, "I love the energy of your podcast," and the the slightly immature in me back then was like, "Oh my god, Benjamin Francis Lefus just sent me a message." <laughs> so you know, I've been listening to his music for yeah. years, yeah. Um, and I. You know, it's something I'll be thinking a lot about, and I, and I really, I feel very humbled to be witness to this conversation. You speaking so openly about your experiences, because I know there's a lot of anonymity in the recovery community, and for those people on the outside, I, I've always got that sense that there's so much wisdom we can learn from it um i really do and something that i've on my own uh, journey to become a better human being and a better father and a better husband and a better daughter is i think about honesty integrity i think about the energy with which i put things out into the world now with a you know a pretty sizable platform to communicate with people i think the way I say things is actually more important than what I say. Mm, I love that. And it's a realization in the past uh, past few months, really, that it's about, it, it's, you know, I, I do have social media platforms that I post on, uh, even though I have grave concerns over social media and what it can do. My way of dealing with it is, is not spending too much time on there. But it's also to make sure that everything I post comes from a good place. I'm not going to talk down about other people. I'm not going to criticize other people. I'm not going to call people out. And I want to know, is this creating division? Is this going to bring people together? Is this going to put out compassion, kindness, and positivity? For me, that's the only it's the only thing that matters. I want to help improve people's lives the right way. And... I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying I always get there. But it's that energy piece that I think is so, so important. I love that. What do you, and I want to remember that. How I say something is more important than what I say. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I agree with that as well. Yeah, the, the energy, good energy, just non-divisive. I agree that good energy is important. And I think... I agree that compassion and kindness and forgiveness and love are very important things. But I also know that sometimes being, for me, and only in my experience, sometimes people being truthful and honest with me, even if it wasn't dressed up in traditional loving and compassionate language, was was really kind. Yeah. You know, because if I, when I'm in, or was in, in the business of, of you know, this, you know, addictive behaviors alcoholism um i would eat i could easily go to a bookshop and pick up a, a book on accept radical acceptance loving myself compassioning myself i know that's not a word but you know what i mean and and love myself right into a bag or right into a drink or right into any kind of behavior 
you know what I'm saying? So I have to be careful within that, that while, yes, I agree those things are incredibly important and, you know, the one of the things I've been taught in, in, in my path of recovery is that love and tolerance of others is our code. But I have to also remember in that my powerlessness over alcohol and drugs and not think, Ben, you've really done great. Be be kind, you know, three years into recovery, you, you, you know, you put out an album, you write with all these artists, doing great, be kind, be kind to yourself and be compassionate to yourself and really give yourself a treat go and buy a 12 pack of red stripe and a bag of drugs and i will do that and, and the, I, uh, you know i can only speak for myself but I'm, i can be very sneaky as an alcoholic or addict if i'm not picking up the solution that i've been taught by the by kind human beings in, in recovery that's what i'll do and that's what i did for seven years you know reading all kinds of self-help books and all this kind of stuff and like for, you know for many people self-help is a brilliant beautiful thing but you know People get caught in the language and semantics of stuff, but actually yeah. self-abandonment, there's juice there as well in like service. Yeah. Your third album was called Gratitude. Yeah. Gratitude um, is such a powerful emotion and sentiment. Yeah. And I know many people in recovery talk about this a lot. Um, why did you call it Gratitude. That album was for ninety percent of it was written um, in two thousand seventeen, end of two thousand sixteen to two thousand seventeen, and I called it gratitude because I was at the I was at the moment I wasn't I hadn't got clean and sober yet, but I was at the moment of surrender and awareness that I was surrounded in grace and I just hadn't seen it. You know, the, the title for that originally came from, I was on tour in the States at the end of 2016. I was on like a two-month tour out there. I was with my friend Jake, who was on tour with me. I had a tour manager called Michelle, sound guy called Ryan, and I fell off playing in um, Dallas, Texas, and I, in, in a place called uh, Deep, Deep Elm in Dallas, Texas, and I, um, I fell off... Um, not fell off the stage, but I was just wasted on stage. Kept played a show. It was it was fine. Went into the garden and um, was chain smoking cigarettes and having a drink. And I met a woman there, and um, I said, "Can I get you a drink?" She said, "No, I haven't drank in five years." Uh, I said, "Why?" She said, "I've been there and done that." And uh, turns out she was five years clean. And um, that was provenient grace, you know, that was, that was some, someone being put in my life at a certain moment when I really, when I really, really was desperate and needed it. And that person carried the message to me um, and, and we fell in love and for a minute and um, it, it, it didn't work out. But um, gratitude for the, the, the gratitude how it comes from those kind of moments of just like, wow, like there's, there's hope, there's hope here. There's hope here. And I probably came up with that title before that relationship ended, but the feeling is true, you know, like, thank thank you, whoever's running this show, because you're doing stuff for me that I cannot, I cannot do for myself. And you won't do stuff for me that I can do for myself. You know what I mean? Just, I was playing a show to a few people in Texas, and that thing that I believe in put someone in my path who drastically shifted the course of my life she didn't save it but she ca she carried 
a message and a solution that, that saved it for sure. Sounds like you were meant to meet her. Yeah, I, I believe so. I believe so. I mean, I'm sure maybe some people listening think that's super cheesy, but I feel like I was. <laughs> I am a singer-songwriter after all. <laughs> <laughs> well, on singer-songwriting, um, it was interesting. Um, Adam Juritz, the singer of the Counting Crows, certainly one of my favourite bands in the 90s. What a band. What a band. Um, he was on Rogan recently, which was awesome. Um, I'm not seeing it all. I just saw some of the clips on YouTube. Cool. Um, but he was telling us about the story of Mr. Jones and what happened to him afterwards, because I guess you... And that was a huge global scale. And I'm sure you you know similar things where something just goes big and changes things sort of overnight. Yeah. Um, but he said something which I I thought I'd ask you. He says, life for me is awkward and uncomfortable, but not when I'm on a stage. When I'm on a stage, everything is fine. Yeah, I totally agree with him. I was having that conversation with, um, I think either my manager, Mark, or... Or someone else the other night, maybe someone in my therapist, you know, to be honest, I think it was the other week. And when I'm in the studio, for me, it's when I'm in the studio as well. When I'm on a stage, when I'm singing, my eyes are closed and I'm singing and my heart's in it. I'm surrendered to it. I'm believing or when I'm in a studio deep in the deep in the trenches of a song with an artist that I'm lucky enough to be with and learn from. It all kind of goes away. And then the second I get into the taxi home or get the lift home or whatever and get as soon as I'm in the cab even I'm like driving through London and I'm remembering like oh my god we were there and we you know this happened there and oh blah 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 you know I'm, I'm I, I get awkward and then I'm back on my sofa kind of like very lucky to be where I'm at but in a in a place of irritability restlessness and um discontentment and I'm so lucky to have to have found a solution that I can apply to that hole that we started to speak about at the beginning of this conversation so i agree with adam and it, what a band you've been very conscious throughout this conversation so far about making sure that we know that this is your own personal experience you're not trying to tell anyone else how to live or claim to be an expert in anything it's just this is just your lived experience but i feel we all myself included can learn a lot through anyone's lived experience including yours yeah and I'd love to know, uh, you know, to the, to the limit you're you're open to sharing. What sort of things do you do on a daily basis to keep you right, to keep you spiritually fit? And then I'd love to understand what happens in 2022 when you go on the road and you're not in your sort of routine and your house and when or your flat where you've got these kind of practices in place yeah do you need to adopt a different strategy have you thought about that and do you know what that may look like the daily routine um again you know it's different for everyone i start my day and um i read some pages from a book um where i found the solution to my um problem then I, I hit my knees say a few prayers don't always know who I'm praying to or what I'm praying to but it, it helps me 
Um, then I normally make a coffee, sit in my garden. I read another little little reading from this from a book that I love called Daily Reflections. Um, and then I turn my phone on. You know, I try not to get into industry chat and diary stuff before I'm kind of right. And I'd say minimum of four times a week, I go to a meeting of other alcoholics or addicts in, in recovery and hear them speak. Sometimes they, someone speaks for 20 minutes. Sometimes we go around in a circle or whatever and I listen to them and I speak and I learn from them and people speak about the solution. Um, and I, before I get into bed at night, I hit my knees as well and, um, thank, thank whatever it is that's out there for another day, clean and sober. I've got to habit recently of like praying for like friends who are like struggling with various diseases, sometimes alcoholism, sometimes, you know, medical diseases. Um, how does it make you feel when you do those prayers for people who are struggling? Um, more peaceful than than I was before I said the prayer um and ho- hopefully useful um I, I often call a, a man in America who takes me through the suggestions and 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 shares with me the solution to or the solution that he has found and that I have found to uh to alcoholism those are the things that come to mind in terms of like routine I've toured America and Europe and UK and maybe somewhere else um, sober so I can answer your second part of the question Um, I go I go to meetings of, of recovering or recovered alcoholics and addicts on the road. Yeah, in America every night because the meetings are everywhere, um, and in the UK when I can. But I, I wouldn't leave it longer than a few days. And I listen to other people who've had similar stories, sharing their experience, strength, and hope. And I just stay right in the middle of the bed with that stuff um, when I'm on the road. And I call others and try and help others, be of service to others, and, and as well as call my my man in America. Man, I've so enjoyed uh, speaking to you. Um, Thank you, you too. Towards the end of this conversation now, I'd, I'd, I would just love to talk about your music. Um, I, I've said it at the start, but I think it's incredible. Um, Thank you so much, man. A few of my friends, um, it's actually one of my best mates who I told um, um speaking to you today on the on the podcast he's like no way man no way he's one of his tracks it's like our family favorites on our oh spotify playlist we all the kids we all listen to it Bless him. but you know your music is touching a lot of people and um i heard the two new tracks the first one cherry and tacoma there's a couple of lines in it i love it's always a risk pinning my happiness on a kiss one shot wonder <laughs> i I don't even know what it means, right? But I just hear it. I go on my walks, I listen, I go, 
don't know what exactly he's saying, but the energy just hits me. Yeah. Um, Th- thank you, man. I um, That's really a song about my own I- issues around codependency and, you know, like we speak about earlier, kind of thinking that anything I can do to not really be honest with myself, to not really look inward, you know, she'll, if I fly across the world to, to, to Tacoma and go bowling and, you know, um, watch a movie and sit in her garden by the Pacific that the song talks about, I'll be happy, you know, and it's, and, uh, it's a big risk because I've tried that a couple of times and, it, um, it's I'm not yet, I haven't become <laughs> enlightened. <laughs> it's kind of how we started, right? Success and happiness. We, we think that's going to give it to us. Yeah. 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 It's a risk. It's a risk. Yeah. A big risk. Yeah. You know, the insanity of across the Atlantic or the Pacific, you know what I mean? It's like left to my own devices. I'll, I'll tell myself that those kind of journeys are really wonderful ideas. And sometimes they can be, and for some people they can be, you know, but it's just, it's a song about codependency and a crazy journey to Tacoma, which I think sounds beautiful to sing. If I look at my diary for 2022, one of the early dates I've got in is your tour. So thank, it's, thank uh, you, man. Oh, listen, I, I got to say thanks again. Look, you've, thank you, man. You're, you're a week away from, from a big release. Um, I can't wait for the album to come out. I hope I get to play some of these tracks on my Radio 2 show because I think they're great. Thank you, brother. Um, I think your songs help people, honestly. I think your songs tell stories that people can see themselves in. And, you know, if I'm feeling down and I put on some of your music, it always... It's it's funny, it doesn't necessarily in that, oh, it's an upbeat song, Lift My Moon. No, it's it's by connecting with the emotion I'm feeling, it makes me feel... You, know, you feel less alone and less isolated. You feel, oh, there's someone else out there. You know, I, it's Thanks, yeah, it's incredible. Thank you. I feel like that when I listen to music as well. It, it's incredible power. And um, just to sort of finish off, and I'm aware you do not consider yourself an expert, but I'm going to ask this nonetheless. This is called "Feel Better, Live More," because when we feel better in ourselves, we get more out of life. And so I'd love if you have any final thoughts to share with the audience over, you know, you've been through a huge roller coaster of a journey. You're still on a journey like all of us. Yeah. But have you got any sort of words of, I was going to say words of wisdom, but let's take the pressure off. Have you got any thoughts that you want to share with people who feel inspired by your story and go you know what i can see a bit of myself in ben i want to start making some changes in my own life do you have any words you want to share with them um again like you said i'm 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 not an expert um asking for help is not a sign of weakness Admitting powerlessness is not a sign of weakness. It's, it's a it's a runway to fly off into a, a beautiful life if one is if one is needing and willing to do that work and getting around a community of people who have identified their problem and are willing to name it for what it is, accept it, surrender to it, ask for help around it, and do the work on it. Is not a sign of weakness. It's it's a beautiful thing, and um, 
my experience won't be for everyone's and um, and I have no monopoly on recovery or the solution but when I accepted I was powerless I couldn't stop couldn't stay stopped and that my life was unmanageable that was a point in which I could then progress into finding new management and 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 clearing the channel and thanks Ben thanks for coming on the show thanks for sharing your story I really would urge everyone listening watching this right now to check out the new album to carry a whale um if you like streaming it's everywhere if you like me and want to get the cd and the vinyl you can do that as well but i i really do think your music moves people thanks and i hope everyone who listens to my show gives it a chance and uh gives it a listen and uh see you on the road thank you so much god bless you really hope you enjoyed that conversation and please do let Ben and I know what you thought on social media. I really would encourage you to check out some of Ben's music. In fact, Ben and his record company have given me permission to put a couple of his tracks at the end of this podcast. If you just wait two or three minutes to the end, you can hear two tracks that I've chosen. One is the first track on his new album. It's called Cherry in Tacoma. absolutely gorgeous and then I've decided to play Shine which is that big hit that was Spotify's most addictive song of 2014 so do please listen to the end see what you think of those tracks and if you like them you know check out Ben's new album To Carry A Whale and check out his earlier stuff as well I think the music is absolutely fantastic before we finish today I want to remind you about Friday 5 it's my weekly newsletter that contains five short doses of positivity to get you ready for the weekend there's usually a practical tip for your health to try I'll often write about a book that I've been reading or I'll share an article that I found inspiring sometimes I share a recipe that I'm making and I usually finish with a quote that has caused me to stop and reflect basically anything that I feel would be helpful to share I pop it in that email. I get such wonderful feedback from my Friday Five readers. Many of you tell me that it is one of the only weekly emails that you actively look forward to receiving. So if that sounds like something you would like to receive every Friday, you can sign up for free at drchatterjee.com forward slash Friday Five. And if you enjoyed listening to the podcast, if you found the content useful, please do share it with your friends and family you can do this on social media or alternatively you could just send a good friend of yours a link to this episode right now along with a personal message please do also consider leaving a review on whichever podcast platform you listen on and of course please do support the sponsors you can see the full list of discount codes at drchatterjee.com forward slash sponsors thank you so much for taking some time out of your week to listen Please do press follow on whichever podcast platform you listen on so you'll get notified when my latest conversation comes out. And always remember, you are the architect of your own health. Making lifestyle change is always worth it because when you feel better, you live more. And to finish off this week, I leave you with two sublime tracks from Benjamin Francis Lefwich, Cherry in Tacoma, followed by Shine. Enjoy.
Smoke till the sun goes down and without a sound.